This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And we are here today with Samuel Finley. Or Sam, you go by Sam, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Sam's fine. Sam Finley, who a lot of our listeners probably know as the author of Breakfast with the Dirt Cult. He's a writer from Oklahoma who served in both uh, Bosnia and Afghanistan um breakfast of the dirt cult came out about uh, i was actually looking in the notes in prep for today and we're coming right up on the 10 year anniversary of the book are we not yeah yeah we are uh which is a fairly striking thing but it's really kind of popped off over the last year and a half um is that accurate yeah it's uh, i was recently listening to y'all's interview with delicious tacos uh, and he'd mentioned how the way it is nowadays, there's like this sort of tale that happens and he'd sold more books, you know, it, since his, uh, I guess in the past, I guess the month that they y'all recorded, then he had it as initial. And so right. it's been kind of an interesting sort of slow burn. And I'm, I really appreciate everybody who's, who's reviewed it or talked about it or bought it. Um, it's, it's, I couldn't have done it without y'all. So thank you. Absolutely. It's a great book. Um, I'm not sure if you would ever describe it as a memoir but for people who don't know, it's a it's a pretty fair fair to say that it's fairly autobiographical account of of your time in Afghanistan and the and the you know the time immediately preceding and and following that period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not terribly creative, so I just I, I, I surrounded by all these people, and it's like I've got a this this guy had said something or did something. I, I've got to capture this because it's just it's just funny. Or definitely interesting or whatever so um yeah no, it's and, that all their dialogue was was what they is how they spoke and that really um, shined through that was like you're reading it and you're like wow this is like actually like like you're actually there <laughs> I, I i'm i'm grateful for that that's kind of what i was hoping for yeah no, it's, a, it's a fantastic book and i mean that is aside from being a military memoir which obviously for a lot of us always holds some intrigue uh what stands out to me about dirt cult. Well, a lot of things stand out about it and we'll get into those, but one of them is the, the verisimilitude, just the, you know, very much taken from life. Um, you mentioned delicious tacos. I, I find it interesting. I'm not even sure if this is the right tone to strike about it, but it's what I found myself thinking uh, on my first read through of the book. Uh, it, it, it's almost like if someone like a delicious tacos or even like a Michelle Wellbeck wrote a war memoir, it would be this because it, it has the you know it's about something very serious and it's about you know being at war and there's that kind of some degree of that kind of action and those kinds of stakes 
But nevertheless, um, as um, you know, people like Benjamin Braddock in his review of it and, and Michael Anton have pointed out, it's also a book about Spenglerian decline, shall we say, and and also, of course, uh, as we'll get into more more, uh, you know, the the relations between men and women within the context of the 2000s and the 2010s. So I, I hope I hope that uh, isn't taken the wrong way, but um, I, I could definitely. I would definitely describe it as is like you you see the cover of the book and you're like oh this is a war memoir but it's like that but also has some of the same appeal as like a delicious tacos to me. Um, and have you read much tacos and and other similar writers like that? A, a bit. I I came to him through uh, through his blog, and then yeah. later on, uh, you know, I, I had a had a gimmick account on on Twitter, and I would I would keep up with his takes. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm honored to be in, in that in that company in that comparison. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's absolutely a compliment. Um, you know, it's the, the book goes places that you wouldn't necessarily expect a war memoir to go. Uh, and again, in a good way, I, I think that in some ways, like the, a lot of the most dramatic action from like a plot and character arc perspective happens not so much in Afghanistan, but in the end, back in Canada, which I think a lot of people wouldn't expect, but I think it, it throws everything into relief in an interesting way. And, um, you know, make, it makes the impact of, of the, some of the themes I think the book is exploring all the more strong. Well, thank you on that. Uh, I, I, whenever I, I started writing it, um, or as I was writing it, I, I wanted to write the sort of thing that I wished had been there whenever I was thinking of enlisting. Mm. And I, uh, whenever I, I was thinking about it, I was in college at the time, and I would, I, I decided to, go, I was going to try to learn as much as I could about the army to try to prepare myself. And so I went to the library, and I'm, I'm reading all these books. And n whenever I was actually in it, 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 uh -huh. it was completely at odds with it. Um, it, you get this sort of in these memoirs or, or you know, accounts of war or whatever, you get a really sanitized version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And that's because you can't. I mean, it's like it's this is this is a book. You can't tell everything. Um, but what they choose to to put in, it's really scrubbed clean of a lot of the just the, the things the way it really is. Um, and I, so I wanted to try to to write it warts and all, um, mm -hmm. and even the good things or the funny things. They're just like this is if you're an infantry soldier and during the time that I was in, like this was this is kind of what life was like. Um, and, and I've I've there are a lot of vets have responded positively to it. So I think. It's a kind of chase a rabbit for a second. And um, Paul Schrader uh, had was once had a Vietnam vet come up to him, from what I heard. Uh, whenever uh, I guess he wrote Taxi Driver, um, and some some vet had come up to him and said, "You stole my story," and and huh. Schrader said, "You must think you're terribly unique." <laughs> that, that, <laughs> he, he talked to a lot of veterans, and and a lot of them had those sort of experiences, um, and he drew from that. So I I think there's nothing really unique about me, um, and and I hope that. Uh, I know a lot of people can, can see themselves or just like, this is what that moment in time was like. So I know what you mean with some of those other war stories, because like I've read uh, Black Hawk Down, I've read Dispatches and like, they do a very good job of portraying the actual conflict, but not so much in diving into the, the minds of the men that fight it. And I, I think, and if I'm not putting words in your mouth, I think that's kind of what you set out to do and did do with Dirt Cult is to, you know, explore not just the war, but the effect of the war on the man and society. 
on the mat. Yeah, because that all that stuff's happening at the same time. And like, for instance, my my old squad leader, uh, it, it it became kind of a, a running thing, and that we, you could kind of tell his attitude based upon what was going on with with his wife. You know, like, <laughs> Sergeant Bronson's is being especially salty, and he's you know he's he's being real angry or whatever. You know, like him and his old lady got into a fight or something. You know, or you'd, you guys would go down range, and you know they might get deer jawed or something. And and so it, all of this stuff is happening at the same time, and it's and I, and I get. You know, if somebody's wanting to learn about a war, they don't want to hear about somebody's emotional stuff or, you know, if, you know these, these genres or whatever exist for a reason. But I, I wanted to try to tell a little bit or try to make it as real as possible. And in the real world, that stuff's just together. It's tangled up. And, yeah. And it's yeah. a mess. Well, well, you're, what's interesting about your book is that it strikes a balance between in, – in trying, I think, to portray things as truthfully and sometimes just as simply as possible – not as simply, you know what I mean? Like just as straightforwardly you know, as it really was, uh, it achieves an interesting balance between a lot of things. Because what's I, would, I don't know if it's a problem, but like what, what I found in a lot of not only war memoirs, but also, of course, movies and TV shows is they're kind of, <clears throat> usually they're either all about the action and the heroism, which is okay in its own, it's in its own place. Um, or they're something like the, the book, the things they carried, uh, which, uh, as I recall, Bronze Age Pervert had very colorful words for yeah. when you were on his spot. <laughs> I actually, I, I haven't read that book since high school. I remember enjoying it, but I can see why someone like that would be critical of it. It's definitely like a liberal book and it's a, it's, you know, it's an anti-war book, um, yeah. but that leans very much into the emotional side. I remember enjoying some of that, but what's interesting about your book is that it's not I mean, I, I'm actually curious if you describe it as an anti-war novel or not, if that's a, maybe that's not a simple, you know, yes or no answer, but it, 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 it is that, but also at other moments and that pointed this out on the podcast as well. Uh, you know, it, it, it portrays moments of, of valor and greatness, you know, over there. Like it's, it's not one thing. It doesn't, it's not like a red state, uh, you know, war story to make people feel good about our foreign policy at all. It's the opposite of that. But it's also not a simple, like, anti-war liberal tract either. It's somewhere in between. Um, it, would you, does that resonate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it Because it's, it's, it's not an anti-war, because it's, I, I don't think you, you, you can have an anti, I, I, I guess, how do I, how do I rephrase it here? Um, it's it, it's not anti-war because you can't have a world without war. Right. Um, right. I, exactly. Yeah. Was, y'all, I was listening to y'all's conversation with uh, Geo, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, he was talking about uh, you know, y'all were talking about art and 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 how it's it kind of gets mingled up with politics and there's kind of what constitutes guys right wing art you know and that there's there's this some there's something I guess that transcends and you're you're accepting it you know you're looking at the wreckage of empire or whatever and you, and the guy just says yes. Whereas with, with leftism, it, it, it presupposes that you can attain this sort of engineered society where we can you know, apply you know, scientific principles to human affairs and we can, we can have the utopia. Or, uh, and, and as I, I agree that the Jonathan Bowden said that this is kind of an adolescent wet dream. And, yeah. and, and so it's like, this is just a part of the human condition. And, and sometimes these things, you know, are, you get cross-threaded with individuals or groups of people and, and conflict arises. And this is, it, this is kind of a microcosm of, of how that plays out as I saw it. Um, yeah. It's like you, 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 for me, like there, you can't really have 
there's there's not going to be a world without war. And so it's just like this is what it looked like. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, that's uh I think that that gets at the heart of of what I was trying to try you know trying to get at there. Ba- basically, you know, it's not and, and you know, you've written about this in Dirt Cult and then you've elaborated it upon it, you know, on some of your podcast appearances, some of the articles you've written for IM 1776. You know, you're not you're critical, of course, as we all pretty much in this sphere are of a lot of America's foreign policy and a lot of just what America has become, uh, including in our wars. However, it's founded on that, you know, call it Heraclitian, if you want, uh, or maybe even call it a little bit uh, Bathist, perhaps, you know, that basic that that fundamental some would call it right wing. But, you know, or, or some would call it just the domain of people who are, you know, actually red pilled on the way things work uh that you know thing basically that things are found in war and conflict and this is an immutable part of the human experience and and one that's not going anywhere uh anytime soon um and i think along with that comes the parts of the parts in your book where it's not so much that you're being pro-war in those moments but there's this um and this maybe gets into the title of your book a little bit, that notion that war, you know, wh- whatever the war is, even if it's, you know, whether it's Afghanistan or, or you know, the legions of Rome, um, that you are being initiated into some kind of fundamental cult of the human experience, you know, to, to be able to fight and, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully succeed. Um, d- just there's an understanding of war as, one of those fundamental elements of the human experience in your book that, you know, and there's that, that notable scene when they're in the choppers and it's like, you know, you, 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 you feel almost like a pagan God out for vengeance and, you know, it sure beats a day in the office. Like there's still, even as critical of the establishment and in times of the war as your book is, there's still, it's still balanced by that fundamental notion of what war is and, you know, does that resonate? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, you mentioned the title and that's, that's kind of what I was driving for with it. And um, cause it's kind of an esoteric title. It sounds weird, but, uh, I, I remember when, you know, whenever I was going through this, this phase where I was reading everything about, I could about the military and combat arms, I, I came across this phrase warrior cult. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got lodged in my brain because you, you get around these guys and, and you, you, you didn't know each other, you know, maybe a, until a few weeks ago or maybe a year. Um, and you're going to be going to the other side of the world. And you, if you get in a situation, air support is going to be a long time coming. And, and it's, it's just y'all in, in, in Indian country. And all you have is each other. And suddenly things matter in a way that they don't. Um, and, and, you, you come to depend upon people and you try to be someone that, that people can depend upon. And, and like that really brings out something. Uh, and, and, and that's right. There's yeah. magic in it. It, it. You might even say, and I think someone like BAP, someone like Ernst Younger, uh, even myself, although I have absolutely nothing close to any experience like this, my, given, you know, from my vantage point, it would seem that, you know, obviously maybe this is a cliche point, but obviously war can bring out terrible things in people and, and war itself may be hell at times, but I do think, uh, I think it's fair to say that war also brings out the best in people, and in particular, men, um, or or that it can. It brings out these, you know, these qualities that are what we most admire in in men and in masculinity. Well, yeah, and and they, you can't have one without the other in a way. I think, um, or at least it, with 
within the context of you know war and what we're talking about it's yeah. it, knowing that you're going to be going into something and things are going to get ugly um you know you'll you'll have some guy telling you that you know look to your left look to your right this person will not be here at the end of the mission type of <laughs> thing and um, you know you're going to be people are going to be you know losing limbs or their life and you're you're going to be going to do this thing and it's going to be ugly and you'll be remembering it for the rest of your life um that if you're going to survive that and see that other people do as well um or and accomplish your objectives you're going to have to rise above the fear of that or the pain of it and and you're going to have to confront that ugliness and and try to bring something good out of it or just simply survive and that that brings out something um and it's like this gets kind of to the heart of why we fight kind of in in the first place i mean there's there's there's, there's like a mystery that you have to participate in mm-hmm. um, so like with women with childbirth um yeah yeah and that's sort of uh itself an initiation ritual into a sort of cult that unfortunately or maybe fortunately many men do not are, are never initiated they're never initiated into <clears throat> the cult of the warrior the cult of violence and i mean that is something that you know once you kind of at, at least this is what i, I gleaned from your writing from other writing about war, once you've experienced that level of brotherhood, but also uh, that level of kind of direct experience with uh, the enemy, it um, you know it changes you. From from what I understand, again, this is uh, not something I have experience yeah. with. Yeah, but well, I mean, y'all y'all have it in other ways, though. I mean, like, uh, are y'all y'all might be fathers, um, and and if that's the case, um. You could you could you could tell me everything you know about about fatherhood, and I could I could quote you chapter and verse back to you, and I could get I could have I could have uh, you know memes, and I could have you know spreadsheets talking about all of the things that you explained, but I won't know it like you know it because you've experienced it, um, and that's yeah. just true with the or you know. I guess y'all are lawyers or, or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm a lawyer. You're a lawyer? Uh, but neither of us are fathers neither yet, of us. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfor- but I think hopefully it's on the but, horizon. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, no, yeah. I, I well, appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. Or even just, uh, you know, uh, of, you know, having a significant other, you know, of loving mm-hmm. a woman, little yeah. things like that, that, that you pass through. Um, and it's, I mean, that's, that's why we, that's why we create art. I mean, yeah. cause it's like, there's, there's something here that that's, it's significant in ways that I like you don't understand completely. You just know that it is. And you just so you, know that it is. And then you yeah. can, you experience that and then you can encapsulate it in a book like breakfast with the dirt cult. And then that gives other people some kind of idea of it, you know, yeah. um, in, in a non-trivial way. Like I think that, you know, again, I've read some other military books and, and obviously seen movies, TV shows, whatever, but that kind of more initiatory personal hero's journey element um definitely came across more in your book than any other book that i've read on the on similar topics um and i i think in some ways i i, I kept running in my notes and i'm a big fan sort of was like of like coming of age novels as a genre obviously your novel isn't about like a boy becoming a man but maybe it's about a man becoming a true man um there is that sort of the the, the narrative arc is very much of that coming of age sort where somebody goes through something and is strengthened for it. I mean, does that, does the, the notion of coming of age, do you think speak to the novel or is that too? Well, no. I, or, well, yeah. yeah. Cause I, that was, I mean, there, there was, there was, you know, there's, you know, elements of that and it's, 
and some of it I actually kept out of the book just because I think I would think like this is just seems kind of cliched. I, I need to uh-huh. I don't want to play this up. Um, but it, it like that was it just kind of worked out that way because um, that was that I, you know I was the guy in my early twenties at the time. Yeah, um, and and you know we were seeing the end of whenever I enlisted, Clinton was still president. Yeah, and yeah, and so there was this transition over to you know the the, the Bush era and the you know. The end of the, the the end of history and the mm-hmm. beginning of you know the global war on terror, which is just about as lame a name as you could think. <laughs> um, but but it so there were all these weird changes that were happening um, in the world, and I had a I got to have this front seat to it. I, we were on the world. Me and my buddies, we we'd go down to New York City because one of them was from Staten Island. We were on the oh, World nice. Trade Center just a couple of min- months before nine eleven. Wow. Yeah. So we there was just kind of a, I guess, a happy accident or at least an accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this sort of comedy of errors, maybe it's a better way to put it. That, that it was just, that was my life. And that's kind of what I saw um, within and without. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. And it's one of, one of the things that I, that I highlighted in the book is uh, that it really is a period piece in a lot of ways. And it captures that 2000s moment uh you know the book is basically set what from like 2004 to 2007 or so or i guess with references to some earlier stuff as well it captures that decade um really really well i think i might have frozen up can you guys hear me i hear you okay yeah Yeah, anyway it captures that decade really well and this is a a kind of weird comparison but you know we just did this episode on on entourage (laughs) which Sam, yeah, you, which you may you have highlighted watched. as liking. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring this up if you hadn't highlighted it. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I, um, you know, I like that episode Dan and I did, and we kind of were talking about the show. And for people who haven't heard it, we talked about the about the show Entourage, which is on from like 2004 to 2011, I think, and and the way it kind of encapsulated that, yeah, sort of that end of history moment. The there was like a relative normalcy, but things are sort of starting to slide, and then there's of course the economic crisis and everything and it kind of the show sort of moves from this moment of relative innocence to a sort of cold hangover of waking up into like a much less forgiving world economically and socially and and in a really strange way I feel like Breakfast with the Dirt Cult um, taking a very different topic not you know layabouts doing nothing in Hollywood but rather war nevertheless it kind of charts that time period in a similar way where there's an there's an innocence at the beginning and then at the end there's a, a sort of total disillusionment um so i i don't know if that's too flippant uh, of uh of, of a comparison but i did well, just want to highlight that um that i do think another one of many reasons to read records of the dirt cult is that i think it's a really good encapsulation of the 2000s as a decade yeah well i i appreciate that because i, I the, the I, I started writing the book. Well, I enlisted back in 2000, and I got out in 2005. So you're mm-hmm. you're seeing, you know, up until then. Uh, after I got out, uh, I was I I wound up leaving to go travel around the world and all that kind of stuff. But I spent a month at home, and one of the things that, that I did was uh, I watched Entourage. One of my brothers <laughs> was, he got into it, and I remember watching it, and and it was it, it, there was that feel that vibe that was very much kind of of that time that because it was you're coming off of sex in the city right and it's you know these are these are these are guys during that time and this is you know this is kind of how it was you know this is like hookup culture kind of like you're seeing this representation of it and you know, the, the the great recession hadn't happened yet right. exactly it was, it was just that that was that moment so so yeah it's 
that's it was when this that moment that... for men before the dating apps and before the recession where uh, like on, on our pod, uh, like a certain type of man, you know, maybe it wasn't the most moral life. Maybe it was certainly wasn't the most moral life, <laughs> but uh, they enjoyed a, um, you know, a, a sort of uh, high watermark, I mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was taken as sort of normal. And um, which yeah, exactly. after, after I had listened to y'all's episode, I went and watched, I, I watched the movie on Amazon. I, I, I haven't it. seen and it. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> it, it's funny. Cause it, it's, it's, it's of that time, but we're no yeah. longer there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There were little elements like that, that, that for instance, one of the, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but uh, one of the subplots is there's an investor from Texas who, who winds up being a thorn in the side of the fellas. And, and I kind of wonder how much of this is a hangover from the Bush era. And because, you know, he's, he, this guy's a Texan and, and he's, he's, you know, he's carrying you know, a gun and he's right. You first see him riding a horse and, and he's just a little bit of a nuisance and they kind of look down on him uh, <laughs> because the guy's kind of, you know, the, it winds up being a blustering idiot. Uh, but it's like, there was just that kind of like, this yeah. feels like Bush era type stuff. Definitely. And, yeah. No, it's interesting because, <clears throat> well, one thing, and this is definitely something I wanted to highlight, um, that our listeners who haven't read your book will appreciate is like, there really is some very, and I, I know it's, this is an overused term, but there's some very red pill stuff about women in it and about dating and about the sexual marketplace and the state of modern women. And all of that is very, you know, well, well received. This is both, you know, kind of some, some sort of more philosophic asides uh, at the beginning of the novel. And then what ultimately happens, uh, you know, the protagonist, Tom Walton, and his ill fate in love sort of reflects some sort of uh, truths that would be talked about by someone like Partiste uh, or Roosh or our good friend uh, on this pod, Matt Forney. Um, and I, I do want to actually ask you more about all that in a second, but I just wanted to also add um, when you're reading those sections about, you know, there's, there's a really notable section in Dirt Cult where they're, the brother, where they're at a bar I think in uh, like Watertown, like, like near Fort Drum, yep. right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, you know, that's Watertown. The, yeah, exactly. Um, we, we can talk about Watertown too, maybe in a bit. I think Dan <laughs> and I both have some experience there. But uh, yeah, basically just kind of reflecting on the state of modern women and, and the relative degeneracy of, of it all. And it's not that I'm nostalgic for that period per se, but kind of as we talked about with Entourage, it's like, even that seems better than what it is now. Like even, you know, that, that was all bad with, with the bar hookups and all that, but at least, at least there was a playing field. So it's like, in a weird way, you can almost get nostalgic for something that like, wasn't even good in its time, but like things are even more atomized now. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely something that, that feels dystopian uh, about, about the way things are nowadays. Yeah, um, that that wasn't there then, and, and I don't know how much of that is just you know inter- internet and cell phone type of stuff suddenly becoming popular, um, but there was still a, uh, yeah, it, it was just it was different. Exactly, and like, and by the way, I'm not saying like uh, let's make it the 2000s again. I think <laughs> I think at least in in some critical ways we're here now because we were there then. Like, at, yeah, know, it's common enough because it didn't write talking about, but nevertheless, you know, there is still that nostalgia. Like, I mean. Just not to spoil too much, but one of the central and perhaps, you know, all of the stuff with Afghanistan aside, maybe the central conflict and story arc of the novel has to do with, you know, the protagonist, Tom Moulton's uh, relationship with a stripper that he meets yeah. in Canada named Amy. And, you know, uh, 
she, it does it it is it, it, it in some ways it's almost like a romance not not that it's a romance novel but like that you know it is a very um passionate affair uh but let's just say that it doesn't necessarily end well um and <laughs> you know that's and, and there, there, there's x y and z reasons for it and and like obviously yeah maybe maybe uh, a strip club isn't isn't ultimately the, the best place to meet a wife yeah yeah but but even <laughs> even within that it's like not even like that the, the fact that that could even happen that that could have even been a possibility almost seems like a product of a bygone era i mean that kind of just like serendipity and people connecting in that yeah. way no that's true um, ill-fated or otherwise just feels like it doesn't doesn't so much happen anymore but uh and yeah. maybe maybe we're beating a dead horse with this 2000s thing but you, you know what i mean like the book i mean all i'm needing to highlight is that the book somehow both it is a sort of Spenglerian tragedy about the decline of a society, but even within that, you know, there was maybe the, there, there was a glimmer of something even then that I don't think we quite have anymore in the same way. <laughs> well, it's, that's that's tall praise to to get again to get lumped in with with you know these the, the Spenglerian tones and whatnot. But, I think uh, I stole that from Benjamin Braddock's this novel, but I think it is it yeah. is accurate. Yeah, but, on, well, I, I I appreciate that because it's I I think it's just um. I heard someone once say, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to butcher this thing, so I'm not going to bother trying to quote it, but that you, you shouldn't try to make conservative art or right-wing mm -hmm. art. You should just tell the truth right? Uh, or, yeah. or, or, or just convey what you see about the human experience. Um, and that, and I, I think that's true. And I also think – I'm going to criticize myself. I, I know for a fact that I, I took liberties with, with the reader because um, there's, there's times where I, I shoehorn – like you mentioned the bar scene – that's one of those scenes where it's like we're writing it. I know I'm stepping out of the story too much. It's like I, I wind up ranting for like three or four pages. Uh. <laughs> and it, but it's a, a, a way I saw it. Like this is this is my this is probably the only time I'm going to say anything to people. Right. Oh no! So, like, I'm just going to like throw it all yeah. out. <laughs> like I'm just going to I'm just going to rant at you, the reader, for about yeah. five pages. So so stick with me. I think um, it's fantastic because we see how people who make it their bread and butter to to just not write novels, but rather tackle those issues head on. We see that they end up kind of more in the crosshair, like someone like Roosh. I'm not defending everything he's ever said or done, but like he did sort of end up in the crosshairs because he was the pickup artist anti-woman guy you know whereas someone like delicious tacos even who's controversial um but not as much as Rouge or even you it's like you write something that's honest and that's really enjoyable to read and that you know anyone with that's empathy even, i think even yeah. liberals with empathy you know reading this would be like oh th this stuff hits um you know you can kind of couch the criticisms in the story i think it makes it more effective and you know maybe it's not to everyone's taste but i really like sort of philosophic novels and stories and so you know a little bit of a digression and, and all of it is entirely relevant to the stuff that goes on plot wise i mean it was one of the elements of the book that i liked the most and one that made it stand out well thank you well, I, and you you read books and it's so much of the narrative is, is dominated by the left and, and so you, you read these books and these authors would go on and you know they're giving you a, a, a message that's supposed to translate into some sort of political uh mindset or, or sensitivity they're trying to work you and yeah. and and i'm thinking like you know what i'm going to give y'all a dose of your own medicine <laughs> yeah. like this this is where i'm going to cut a promo on you and like you're going to have to deal with what i think um 
So it's maybe a, I went a little too far, I think, but I, oh, no, I, I feel like I needed so. to get it out. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. I, I think this is like my only time to talk to Joe kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. the 18 year old who's thinking to enlist. So I want to try to like, mm-hmm. you know, for my kind of guys, the grunts, I, I want to at least, you know, they might not have ever read Toynbee, uh, but they can at least get my take on how he applies now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think from so, a narrative point of view, it really does work because it helps, you know, further, even if it's digression, it helps further get into the mind of uh, Walton. And like, that is, that's always important. So like, I, I think in writing, you, you never really make a misstep as long as you're still in the mind of the character, because right. like, that's, that's the point. You're just following the character around well, and like the plot is, you know, the plot is where the character goes. Well, thank you. That was, um, cause that's stuff that, that kind of, obsessed i say kind of it, it obsesses me and it has been since lord since i was a kid uh, i remember yeah. um, have y'all ever read uh, from dawn to decadence by jacques barzoon no, no i've heard the title but tell me about it. there's should. a there's a great interview you can find where uh, he sits down with charlie rose around the time that the book was released and he wound up getting a pulitzer which is telling because this is you know, early mid 90s whenever he wrote this book and i i don't think he, he could be, he would have gotten it nowadays no, he's yeah. this grand old man of letters and he sits down with Charlie Rose and he and, and Charlie right out the gate just says decadence. You know, it's like like a stripper name. <laughs> Welcome to the stage decadence. <laughs> you know, but he says decadence and 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 Jacques Barzun's just this grand old man of letters. And he's he's an old man now. He's got it like plaid suit or blazer. And he's just like, it's a frightening word, isn't it? And and Charlie says, absolutely. And he says, but it doesn't have to be. A decadence just means falling away, and afterwards you get renaissance. Um, hmm. But the, I mentioned that because whenever I was I was in I was in college, you know, I didn't have much money, but I would I would peruse the books, and I, I found that book, and I just out of curiosity started reading it. And every time I would I couldn't buy it because it was just really expensive for me at the time. But every time I went into the bookstore, I would read a little bit of it because um, this was around the mid nineties. Uh, you know the the, the the Monica Lewinsky scandal thing was going on at the time. And so like, this, you know, and I'm from Oklahoma and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, dealing with issues of faith and stuff. And yeah. the way I was raised, it seems like it's completely being at war. It's, at, you know, the whole you know, society in which I live is kind of at war with the way I was raised and was normal up until you know, relatively recent until then. Um, and I, and I don't understand why things are the way they are. And and he was and he's he's drawing off of you know, the, the Spinglers and the Toynbees and Ib Khaldun's and all these people, but he was the first I'd read who who had mentioned them, and and mm-hmm. so I this thing is it's rolling around in my head, and I'm I, you'd often go to the bar and you you you're you're looking to you know be like Entourage and raise hell and drink and you know and and you know get with girls or whatever, but there's also a part of you that thinks like I'm watching something fall apart. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and and there's and I don't like it and and I'm a part of it. And, and I don't even like more so me. now. Like even like obviously back in the, you know, uh early 2000s when the period you're writing about, yeah, that level of sexual licentiousness that represents a sort of falling apart, but I would argue that today you go to bars and you see everyone on their phone in in a bappian way that's even worse. Yep. That's even, you, you don't even have people fucking anymore. You have <laughs> yeah. People looking at their phones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, I think that's why the, the Watertown bar scene is one of the, you know, there's many memorable scenes in the novel and that's, that's one of them to me. Um, 
Yes, was that set in? I'm sorry, Matt. Was that set in Watertown, the bar? Because you were in Fort Drum. I didn't realize that the bar was in Watertown. Yeah, yeah. That oh, was wow. one of the okay. that was one of the dive bars that we would. Nice. All the I, off post. All all the, the all the soldiers go. Uh, on my father's side, I have family from Watertown. Just a whole generations of people who came from Watertown. So. I, I feel bad for them. If for yes, the people from, no, because, absolutely. Because they've got these. You've got a military installation right on your doorstep and it completely warps everything around it um, oh well like fort drum now that's a godsend for them because unfortunately the way the uh, the economy shook out yeah. with globalization their you know their industry and everything is just yeah. hollowed out terrible the, the, the rust uh, belt starts drum. yeah I, i'm from drum uh, being nearby is yeah. you know that's great because that brings business yeah I, i'm from syracuse that originally way. so i'm also very familiar with you i used to go up uh, through Watertown on the way to Canada all the time, which so that you really neither here nor there with regard to your novel. Other than that, I, I did recognize that setting. Um, and and it, it, I don't, it's not it's not really what what Breakfast with the Dirt Cult is about. But we actually talked Dan and I talked about it on a previous episode um, with writer Caleb Cadell, who who wrote a, a sort of Rust Belt set novel. Mm -hmm. um, the Rust Belt really, really does start um, in that corridor of upstate New York in my opinion that's not that's kind of neither here nor there with with regard to the novel but uh but it is interesting um and there's a lot i liked about it i i because i would we'd get off post um and, and some of the boys would they they would live you know maybe a half hour off post and they just yeah. kind of get away from everything and they'd throw a party and, and you go out there and this is like this could be like oklahoma it, like, like, oh, yeah, it, yeah. But it's oh, just yeah. like you you get close to the military installation though and suddenly it's this is like this is where the people fight for global homo. You know? <laughs> it's 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 it it it's different, um, and and it's and it I, you know it it helps you know the local economy, and that's and I but it's like man, I feel bad for anybody who's got to like raise a family because <laughs> you go to the mall or whatever, and you've got a bunch of drunken infantry soldiers who are just acting up and <laughs> and being a fool, or you, you're getting yeah. hit, your daughter's getting hit on by you know some guy, oh, and you're like 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 God, these people. <laughs> that's so funny but and one um, thing about that area it's like obviously as you note in the book it's like in the winter buried in snow so that gives way um you know i know in watertown historically to a, an extreme amount of drinking and i assume being a military man in an area that's buried in snow all winter there must have <laughs> truly been some epic uh acts of imbibement oh good lord it, it got well, grim captured in the novel yeah it got grim. I, I was I was initially supposed to go initially supposed to go. I was initially tasked to get, I got my orders to go to the 82nd Airborne at an airborne school. And I was really excited about that. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to wear the I'm gonna wear the maroon beret and I'm going to have that cool thing they put on their shoulder. And I'm going to have jump boots in my class A's. I'm going to be badass jumping out of planes. And, and sure as you're born, I'm in line and they, they call my name and my, my orders that got changed 10th Mountain. And I thought, oh, oh hell. <laughs> and this is this is the winter time and you get off the plane and everything is just it's gray it's noon and it's like darker than 10 foot up a coal miner's ass and it's it's like hoth without the charm and you're just thinking Absolutely. oh my god what did i get into it but you eventually you know you you, you bond with people and, and and you have fun we had guys yeah. who would they would 
we had a guy who one time he, he jumped out of a two-story window into a snow drift <laughs> they would get drunk and they took apart a an, iron, an ironing board and then went to this hill and slid and used it like a sled oh, totally. everybody drunker than who shit the shower on this beat up huh. uh, stripped down ironing board on an iced up hill and it just it was got, got out of control but in a way that was you, you make your fun where you can Definitely. Also, I don't know if you found this to be the case, but when like you're buried in snow and you're in a bar, like I find that the the women are uh, maybe a little bit hornier. Little <laughs> bit I, I wouldn't like, doubt it. Yeah, uh, you know, there's that kind of trapped element, and it's like you know, I don't know why exactly. Yeah, cabin fever is real. That, that's yeah. no joke. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I live in Los Angeles now, so better weather, but but less oh, yeah. less of that. Uh, but anyhow, but back on the bar topic, that's uh, you know it, it is a really memorable scene because it, not only is it the philosophic reflection about the state of women, whatever, but it's it's that that feeling of um, uh, of uh, of witnessing something falling apart and feeling that you yourself are part of it in some small way. That's one of I mean there's that scene in the bar but in some ways not to overextend that but in some ways that's the entire novel and uh, with the war even is that a fair analogy yeah um, yeah it is i think that's on my reading of it that's kind of what feels like there's a lot of moving pieces here again it's not a simple it's not an anti-war novel it's not you know pacifistic or liberal in that way but it is this sense of of being you know on this sort of sinking ship and having very, very meaningful and rich experiences on that sinking ship, but also kind of being aware the entire time that the ship is in fact sinking. And it creates this extremely poignant uh, mood. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 again, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, y'all are going to have to start trolling me or, or, or criticizing this stuff at some point. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very humbled. I, I really appreciate the words. Yeah. Um, I, there's, earlier we were talking about the whole rite of passage kind of part of the book and there were things I cut out. And one of them was that, you know, you know, I, I'm coming, I, as I said, I, I'm coming out of the Bible belt. Um, and I, you know, my brothers would joke that, you know, we were born on a Wednesday and in church on Sunday. Um, and, and like, mm -hmm. there was, this is, you know, this, this, this is a you know big part of, you know, what I think about things in, in life. Um, and I was you know, kind of like, again, this is the stuff I, I left out of the book because it's sort of cliched. And I don't think people would believe it nowadays. And it's kind of embarrassing, I guess, but like that was, I was abstinent. Mm -hmm. And so like, no, yeah. I'm in an infantry environment and I'm trying to like, not let on that I'm, you know, I've, I've never been with a woman because you know, then you're going to catch hell and like, you're going to wind up in some like sleazy, you know, off post, you know, you know, bordello or whatever. And, like, <laughs> yeah. like you just, so you got to like kind of pass it off. But like, I, I didn't want to, you know, let on. But, um, you know, I, I just, you know, getting into my, in my mid twenties and, you know, I, you know, already got one deployment and I'm about to go to another and there's a good chance I, I'm going to be one of the people getting killed because I'm a team leader. And it's like, well, you know, I think this place is a brothel. And so I'll, you know, go through that. But yeah. also you would, I, whenever I first got there, um, a, a buddy of mine, we wound up being friends later. He said, you just sat there with this look on your face, like, leave me alone and don't talk to me. And because I felt like I was in jail, I, I enlisted thinking it was going to be this noble experience. And it's going to be these lantern jawed warriors who are going to teach me how to be a man. And, and it, it wasn't mm -hmm. like that. It, this was like a fraternity meets Boy Scouts meets I don't know what. It was just this weird sort of 
again, to use the word dystopian, but there's, there's, there's an aspect of managerialism that walks hand in hand with the military, which brings up a book, uh, Once an Eagle, which we might come back, or uh, uh, from, from Here to Eternity. There's like those, there's, there, there were some post-war novels that touch on this stuff of just like how the military is this mechanism for managerialism that doesn't really yeah. get talked about. But, um, but you're, you're in this environment and I'm thinking like, God, what did I, what did I do? <laughs> I've got four <laughs> years of this and I would, I would make compromises with myself. I remember I would, I, I eventually started cussing and then yeah. like, I eventually I, you know, I, I would try to like draw the line at blaspheming, but then eventually I, I do that. So by the time you're, you, you meet, you know, my, my character, I guess, to the book, I've already made a lot of compromises, right? You're about to witness me make another more. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's, so whenever, you know, I eventually, you know, I would start drinking, which I never really drank, but you know, when you're an infantry soldier and you want to fit in, you drink because I, again, it's a grim environment and it's even more when you're alone. And, and, and there are, and, and not, it's not like everybody's just the, the bad guy in an after school special, you know, they're like you, they're, they're far from home and they're going through things and, and drinking is one of the things that you can do together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in a place like Fort drum where it's, you're snowed in. Yeah. Um, nothing and, else to do. Yeah. Might and as you well got, get drunk. Yeah. And, and whenever, and, and in some ways it's even worse when they try to like help you, you know, the military, you know, like we're all going to have a, you know, this competition or we're going to do this thing. And it's like, <laughs> this is, this is this weird sort of almost Soviet kind of, you know, fellow comrades, <laughs> we're all going to, you know, have fun now, um, kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. And you just every, strength through joy. Yeah. Well, like, uh, you know, BAP, one of the things I like about BAP's writing is, is, is this concept of own space. Right. No, and and right. you, you know, that every aspect of your life is owned. Like you're literally wearing a uniform that that's got Not their yours. name on it. Yeah. You are branded. Um, you, 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 you've got dog tags like an animal. Um, whenever you you go into the shit, you know, you're going to like write your blood type, you know, on, on a piece of duct tape or whatever. And you're there's a degree to which your entire life is occupied and it belongs to someone else. And then yeah. they can make arbitrary decisions at any point of, you know, hey, got to go do common areas or, hey, it's, it's 2 a.m. You need to go sweep the snow out of, you know, the parking lot or whatever. And, and like that's your life. And, and so you. You try to make your fun and, and, but there's, and, and just, you know, that age, you know, you're, you're pushing envelopes and things and, and that era too. Um, yeah. Yeah, Cause you know, you, you know, world war two in Vietnam or, you know, in the rearview mirror. And, you know, also we, you know, we've got this new thing and we don't really know what it's like and, you know, maybe we're going to go die. So let's live it up. But yeah, there's all this thing that's kind of happening and you're, you're thinking like, I'm, I'm trying to have fun and make the best of the situation, but, this is there's there's I, I, I'm making myself ugly. Um, yeah. A part of me likes it. Um, yeah. No, definitely. Um, there you go on. If you had more to say. Oh, oh no, I just I've taken a long way around the barn there. So I, I appreciate no, no. y'all hanging in with. Me. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah. one of the one of what I read is the one of the major themes of Dirt Colt uh, kind of reflected um, at the in the in the final pages. Uh, where and it was, I find this moving, and we've already talked about similar ideas on the pod so far, but you know, Walton reflects in that kind of final scene with the shower how uh, you know he he wanted to join the military because 
he thought it was an enclave and perhaps the last bastion even for masculinity, uh, you know, within within society, which which resonated with me. I've never obviously well, not obviously, but I've never been in the military. Um, I, I may have toyed with the idea at some point in in high school never that seriously but whenever i thought about the the, the you know if, if i had have done that the reason would have been some kind of notion that i may not even have had words for at the time but the you know the idea of becoming a man by being initiated in into that um and i guess the question again it's another question where maybe there's not a straightforward answer um but like do do you think the military can still be that enclave for masculinity uh or or is that a thing of the past or maybe it was never really like that uh or or somewhere in between um you know do you yeah is that dead or i don't know i i think i think there's a degree to which it's perennial um the, the, yeah anytime you have a military you're going to have guys who are, who are going to who are going to be attracted to it mm-hmm. or, or may serve it um and that's i think that's always going to be um in terms of kind of where we're at now though i I think you know, going back to, to my man, Barzun, uh, I think we're witnessing the death of the nation state. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think uh, totally. you, you, the U S is, an, is an agent of that. It's sort of like a country in name only it's, 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 you know, global managerialism. That's, that's what America is right. for. And, right. and when you're in the military, there's a, there's a guy named, uh, was it his handles like Iraq 88 or whatever. He had a YouTube channel with an older gentleman and they do gun reviews or whatever. Um, and he was an Iraq vet. He did a great tweet thread about um, why people aren't, rec- why men aren't recruiting. Um, and, and there's just the sense like you're, you're serving the administrative state. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not really fighting for, you know, for, for God and country, you know, or, or, or whatever you're, you're, you're fighting for something that's ultimately opposed to you. And, and yeah. so you go, if you're going to go into it, you're, you're going to probably almost by default have a kind of mercenary attitude that I'm going to get something from this that I want. Um, it's not because I love it. And, and I, you, going back to kind of the, you know, the rite of passage for men and masculinity and all that, I, I think we're starting to explore it in other ways. Uh, you know, you see, uh, you know, Tacos did, uh, you know, I guess he did boxing. Now he's doing BJJ. And mm-hmm. um, you have a lot of guys who are getting into bodybuilding or, you know, MMA as well. Um, and they're, they're my buddy, James LaFont, he uh, he's he never served in the military. But the guy he's the he's uh, out of Baltimore and he's a writer, but he, he's also a retired um, supermarket uh, worker. And and so he would uh, he he had like two or three jobs. And, you know, by day he'd be working in a grocery store and at night he'd be boxing. Or he'd be doing blunt machete, blunted machete duels, or just you know, fighting and doing crazy things. And I think what we're seeing is, is guys orienting, seeking, seeking kind of the mystery of violence uh, or yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of struggle in other ways. Absolutely. I mean, and, I think that's what, what part of what this corner of the internet is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it, there's you know, kind of going back to kind of like the whole perennial or traditional or whatever, um, you know, or you know, the whole red pill thing. Um, you know, like with hierarchies, like, like they're always going to be there and, and people, people are going to find them and, and, and work this stuff out. Um, but one of them is, is that, you know, the whole manner boon thing. Yeah. And men are always going to be at the forefront of any sort of order. Like we, cause we have to, and you, there, there's really no option for us. We have to get out there and make do. Um, we have to, was it the, the 
MPC did a did a thread on uh, you know like beating the earth for its energy. Like we have to do that. We we have to struggle. We have to like make things happen. Um, and and that's just a thing men do. And and mm -hmm. you know we're, right now we're witnessing like uh, I, I guess the beginning of of something that'll eventually become founding fathers of something. Yeah, and, I mean uh, that's that's one of the hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, uh, I'm glad you used the word perennial because I think that's that describes it pretty well. Again, I, I read Dirt Cult, you know, as a Spanglerian tragedy about this decline uh, of, of the nation state, the decline of American culture, decline of the American military towards something more just sheerly bureaucratic and managerial. And yet it's not a, like a black pill novel because there is that you know, you know there, there is something that persists through all of it uh even through you know a, a war that we where maybe we shouldn't have been in the entanglement you know it still is the mystery cult of war and there is still those 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 great moments in the novel um there is and i think this is kind of what's summed up in the final few pages like there is still um that that initiation still takes place the mystery of violence the mystery of of, of romance and, and sex and marriage even uh, marriage isn't in the novel, but you know there it is yeah. about men and women. Um, th there is, uh, without being at all heavy-handed about it, there is. It's like that light, that torch, does carry on even through the decline, and that is the torch of not even like traditionalism, because it's not about like strictures or ways of life, but perennialism, the perennial concerns uh, of mankind and, and of men and of these things that we strive for, even in the pause. Um, can still be found. And I, you know, you were being earlier in the pod, Dan and I, you know, being really down on the way things are, maybe it's even worse than it was in the two thousands, but I still think absolutely there are still, you know, human nature doesn't change. And, uh, and, and you know, there's dark elements of human nature, but there's also uh, incredibly light and, and beautiful and, and masculine elements um, that, that I do think can still be accessed, but I think that we're living in a time in a very atomized time, of course, when uh, we have to we have to get really creative uh, to sort of find those things. And honestly, just also to be to be frank about it, maybe they're they're not what they once were like, like, yes, studying Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is great. But like, obviously, it would have been better to be in a more, you know, like a, a true military unit fighting for a more authentic glory like that's better. But like we can still find these things, even if it's just like us alone in our houses and recording podcasts and doing martial <laughs> arts. Like I, 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 I think we have to be real. Like it's not. It, it is. Like, there are bad things about a declining society, but like also there is that hope in, um, you know, in, in what we can still do and the the bonds we can still form and the brotherhoods and you know, reading Bronze Age mindset or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Well, we we don't have a. It, it's 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 that or or what. Right. Uh, like there's um like in I, I i didn't know this until like i guess 10 years ago but i guess uh, but then catholicism despair is a sin um, and i i thought that was kind of an interesting take uh, yeah. and i remember growing up in church uh, this one guy they had this this uh this, this you know guest preacher or whatever come to the youth group and you know, you're a kid and you're you know you're hopped up on the bible and you're wanting to like you know you're on fire for the lord and want to change the world or whatever it like kids are and yeah. and and I remember this guy comes in and he, he cuts a promo on us. And he says, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need this church. He doesn't need the youth group. And he to kind of, you know, humble us because mm -hmm. you realize that like, ultimately, like there's, there's, there's things at work that are bigger than we are. Um, and, and 
you know, maybe we don't get to see the promised land. And maybe, you know, we got the, the stink of Egypt on us and it's just going to be like that for the rest of our lives. But, you know, we get to like, we get to play around in this wild in between. Um, we, 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 we get to, we're, 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 we're a part of the shipwreck and, and we yeah. get to, there, there's moves we can make um, and, and there's, there's possibilities. And if we get so wrapped up in what's wrong and despair, it'll blind us to possibilities. Because there's all kinds of stuff we can do. I mean, like right now we're talking. We might not have ever met otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and there yeah, are all no, those we, people. I'm sure we wouldn't have. Yeah, <laughs> and think of all the people in our circles. These are crazy smart people. And <clears throat> 20 years ago, they'd have been shouting into the outer darkness, or they would have Absolutely. been completely alienated. But we've got these like esoteric archaeology things that we're learning about, or yeah. someone will do a post. Uh, there'll be some some artwork that I'd never seen before that someone posts. Um, and and so there's there's or a book like mine would have not have gotten published yeah. had it not been for Absolutely. self-publishing. You know, yeah. a guy's like, uh, I owe a debt to, you know, you mentioned Roosh, also Matt Forney and all the guys. Matt who Forney, started, big friend of the pot. Yeah. He also gave me one of my first reviews. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So I, he's all of those guys. I owe a tremendous debt to them. And so I, I guess, you know, to anybody you know listening who feels like tapping out, don't. <laughs> like, uh-huh. we, we need every swinging dick. Uh, you know, to the left and right of us who can who can do anything worthwhile and um, because like the the manifest destiny the, the sky's the limit um it's just it's really bad now but the glory is the struggle so to, to go back to your metaphor there it's not that uh god needs you it's more that you need god yeah and so like we you know like none to apply it to us like any you know contribution that we individually make you know, frankly, even as good as it may be, as good as anything that any of us does, it's not necessarily needed. But what is needed is this space. Like we need each other. We need to be part of this thing. Yeah. That's and my it, gloss on it. And if you notice it's it's guys. Yeah. Like, like this, <laughs> it's you know, whether it, I mean this this it's this is sort of like like the you know, the story of the garden. Like this is it's not something that's like just once true. Like it this is perennial. Men are always yeah. kind of like we're we're tasked with with being finding of things. the next new thing, finding yeah. the new because women will always you know want to cling to the status quo because the status quo is safe and evolutionarily yeah. that makes sense because they need to protect their babies. Yeah, but it falls upon men to um, to you know voyage to conquer to seek out the to correct course on civilization in fact if that's what's needed yeah and uh i don't think we'll go down that rabbit hole too far here (laughs) no but but uh, that that is what we're maybe some course correction is uh yeah yeah Yeah. you know we're not thinking of turner diaries scenarios here i think what we're already doing by not to pat ourselves on the back or rest on any laurels but by creating just simply by creating, uh, you know, cultural space that we're, we're already engaging in that in some way. It doesn't, you know, yeah, it's not all bedpost stuff. Um, but yeah, no, uh, riding with despair is prohibited, as our friend <laughs> yes, says. Dane Payne says. says and, yeah, um, no, yeah. It's a great meme. He makes it, it uh, posters yeah. and uh, T-shirts. And it's this, uh, this T-shirt of this stick figure on the subway holding his head in his hands with a like a big like you know stop sign like x going through it 
and it says riding with despair is prohibited. Yeah, no, it's yeah. and it's a good. Uh, I think it's a good message, sort of for for these for these times. And I, you know, I'm glad you referenced Forney as well. I, uh, Forney is uh, responsible for publishing both Dan's and my debut novels. Dan's is coming out soon. That's right. Uh, mine uh, came out a couple year, of weeks, uh, yeah. a year and a half ago. Uh, so no, for, for, Forney is great uh, and has helped. I guess all three of us, you know, get get our work out there. But I, I did want to ask, like, sort of, uh, how did how did you come across this scene? And you're you're kind of a, a, an old an OG, as the, you know, like you, you've been <laughs> <laughs> you, you it's, seemingly from what I've heard, you you've been reading sort of the, the manosphere stuff for like since like 2010, 2011, Which I mean, it's a lot earlier than I came into it, certainly. But how did you sort of discover this stuff how did not, not asking like how you got red pilled per se but like uh, obviously there's a lot of uh you know as we talked about a lot of a lot of stuff in, in even in dirt cult uh you you said was was influenced by by people like forney rouge artiste and so i'm just kind of curious what your process because i don't i don't imagine you were reading that stuff at fort drum but eventually you kind of found it right no yeah actually forney's uh blog and malafide that yeah. actually played a role. I, I, oh, wow. I was uh, I was in grad school at the time and I'm you know going out of my mind because I'm you know, I, I've come off of a war and I, I know what downrange looks like. And I'm getting all these eggheads throwing all this theory at me. And, and I know it's bullshit. Um, you know, you can you these people who are talking about IR theory or whatever. And I would love to see them go downrange and talk to some like 20 year old corporal who would just, you know, who's been in country for a couple of months and he's going to look at them like they fell out of a dog's ass. <laughs> it's like, because this stuff just, it's really great on a dry erase board, but the real world's messy and it doesn't work like that. Anybody with a lick of sense can see this. Um, it, but, anyways, there, so there, I'm, I'm stuck in this like, what I, what I find out is basically like, like, you know, graduate school in like liberal arts is pretty much a seminary for, for globo homo yeah and like, pretty much and, and i I'm, I'm getting this stuff uh straight out the tap and it's just i don't know I, I could i could rant on them all day long because there's just so much stuff where it's just like i got to get up and walk away and like go walk around class I, and and but anyways uh my my tire pressure monitoring system went off on my truck i didn't even know i had a, a, a tire pressure monitoring system but there's this thing on the dashboard kicks up lets me know that my tires out of pressure or whatever mm -hmm. and my tires fine um, but I'm thinking like, what the hell is this, this safety gimmick doing on my truck? I don't want this. Can I, what do I got to do to remove it? And it's like, <laughs> well, it's illegal to remove it. Like, well, who the hell's idea was this? And so, you know, I get on the internet and it, it, you, you know how it is. You sort of get into a fugue state chasing down some, something, whatever question you've got. And I wound up coming across the phrase transnational progressivism, which wound up leading me to an article that was linked in a Malafide. And because Forney had aggregated all this different stuff from all of these different articles and disciplines. And it wasn't just one strict thing. Um, he's just kind of chasing his curiosity as well and, and bringing back stuff that he's seen that he thinks is interesting. Yeah. And because of that, now suddenly I'm like, I, I'm like in the, in the Petri dish. I'm, I'm seeing all this different stuff happen at once. That's how and it happens, thinking, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you're thinking like, and again, it's guys, you know, who are like in the outer darkness trying to figure out what's wrong and what do I need to do about it? And, and there's all this discovery that, that that's going on or things that were lost that are being uncovered. And you're like, there's something here. Absolutely. Um, and so I owe a debt to, to the Fornies and the Rouches and the Hartists. And I, I wouldn't, Dirt Cult will not be you know, th th what it is uh, you know, to the extent it's anything, you know, worth reading. Uh, it, a lot of it is I'm standing on their shoulders. And so fascinating yeah no that's why as as dated and in some ways alienating of, of a phrase as it is like the red pill thing 
I, it's always I, I've, no, I've never fully departed from that meme because when you get into this stuff it is as you said it's like a petri dish like you do plunge in and it is often like one kind of one moment and then you d dive in further but like you're never the same which is why I think that metaphor uh kind of works um but no obviously this podcast is dedicated to to, to literature quote-unquote red pill literature and and um and platforming it and, and you know we've we've talked a lot about you know forney and hartiste and sort of authors who've been influenced by them what's interesting with you is that you know i, I think there's a kind of an explosion right now of a lot of people a lot of guys writing these kind this kind of literature which is great but you did do it uh you know you're an, an you know this whole thing is kind of a pioneer enterprise but you're you're an early adopter even of that, which is very cool. I mean, you you wrote the kind of novel that a lot of people are now just starting to r write and read, um, which which is interesting. Uh, but not just to keep keep piling praise on you. Um, I, I we could I, I do think it would be interesting to talk a little bit, and we've already discussed a little bit about um, you know your sort of process of, of trying to get Dirt Cult published because you didn't always plan on self publishing it, correct? Like you did actually send it out pretty widely. Yeah, I, I didn't want to. I there was still that stigma of vanity publishing. You know, you you self publish because you you couldn't get published in a you know a, a legitimate publishing house or whatever. And so like that was still the stink was still on that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, good lord, I back in two thousand five, I guess I I I had uh, I bought a lap again like this whole that time period. Uh, I I remember not many guys having computers you know, nobody having cell phones or whatever. And at 2004, yeah, yeah. I bought my first laptop and I'm, I'm at Walter Reed and I'm teaching myself, I'm teaching myself, I'm obsessed. And it's like, I've got to get this thing out of my head. And I wound up without even really thinking about it, teaching myself how to type one handed. <laughs> and I can, <laughs> I can type one handed now faster than I could with two back then, but it's, you know, you're, you're obsessed and you've got this thing in your head and you're like, I've got to get this out before while well, it's hot. Yeah. And, and I, I cranked out like a 400 page rough draft. Oh, wow. Mm. There was a there was a guy named McKay Jenkins who wrote a book on the 10th Mountain and he was doing a veterans authors program. He was a, he was a contributor to it and he was kind enough to, to take a look at it and make some suggestions. Um, and he, he recommended his agent and his agent wound up passing on what I had. And I a couple of times approached him and then he you know, just pretty much declined it altogether. And so I got the, the literary marketplace book. And it, it was it, it, for the kids that don't know, it's basically a web, it, it's a website database of all of the, of all the literary agents and whatnot, but it's in a book form, which is, you know, I, I it, bought it's that a website a made out of trees, ago. basically. Um, do what? I bought that a long time ago. I, yeah. I so you know what I'm talking in about. The, in the business of trying to get yeah. novels published. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> it, it, it's funny how antiquated this stuff is now, but I, I, I remember getting that and just, going down the list of anybody who I thought would be interested in sending them a query, which in doing queries really helps with your writing, I think. Oh, true. Yeah, it does to some, and also to think about like, well, what is my novel really about? Yeah. How do I condense it into a, a couple of paragraphs? Yeah. And like, that's, that's helpful. Uh, the responses from mainstream publishing are not helpful, but that, that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which was, which, again, it's educational and I, 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 I did with this thing where I would, I joked with my mom, it's the great American mail out where like every couple of months I would, I would send out good Lord, maybe a hundred, maybe 70 something to a hundred queries. 
And I would, you know, they, most of the time you wouldn't hear anything, but sometimes I'd get a, a rejection or sometimes somebody would want to look at it and they'd, Oh, I need to pass. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm of the opinion. I've never worked in the publishing industry, but I've worked adjacent, shall we say to some industries where people get like submissions all the time. I am of the opinion. I don't know if this was, I think at some point there might, there, there maybe even so with literature, I don't know, but like at some point, people did just send stuff out and people picked it up. I don't think it, ha- I I'm, I'm of the opinion that it happens z- like not at all anymore. Yeah. The like death I, of the slush pile. Yeah. Like mm. people still, uh, for whatever reason, different companies and organizations still have the slush pile, but I, I am of the opinion that the, that pretty w- w- without it, there may be some exception out there, but by and large, um, uh, that the the, the the modus operandi at, at any company with a slush pile is like we we have that you know to to for, for the optic of it but like it's all rejections and now it's all about you know it, 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 people are it's people with like so big social media followings are approached basically to write about what they want you to write about and uh, I think maybe it's a certain point that there was that we did kind of have more of a culture where you could kind of get a foot in the door just by sending something out but I think uh, for better yeah. or worse or past that. Now, some of that might have to do with the fact that there is less of a stigma for self-publishing. Like there's almost this reflexive understanding that people can just do that now. And that's, that's a worthwhile path. But I do think that I, I, I'd have to like, look at the data, whatever. I don't even think the data exists, but, um, but basically that we we've moved even more firmly away from, you know, submission culture where you could actually submit stuff uh and and toward you know hopefully productively towards self-publishing but uh, i think you're right yeah you ultimately published was it amazon and it's obvious dirk helps obviously on amazon now is that where you originally yeah self-published yeah um and how did you you ended up kind of you know self you did you took out some ads right uh, not not to go into the gory details of this i just think it's kind of interesting to chart that you know almost 10 year history of the book and how uh, and obviously it has a happy ending in that um, I do think it's probably sold a lot better over the past couple of years, which you can get to, but yeah, what were your yeah. kind of early attempts to, to get the, the word out there? Like uh, initially I would, I would approach bloggers um, it, um, or uh, good, good tactic some, probably, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you, you try to think, you know, as you, I just, I think you were saying, Dan, uh, you, you've, you know, with the, the submission process that um, you, how it helps with queries and you kind of have to think, well, who who would care about this you know yeah. why why should someone give a damn about this and, and who are those people and what would they like about it and and you try to like find where where who are the sort of guys, who are the sort of people who might be interested in this story and you know there were all these guys in the manosphere like forney uh, who were writing and he would do, he was doing reviews um and i thought well I, maybe he'll take a look um or uh, there were places like talkies um yeah and uh, Ann Sturzinger, who she gave me a really good review. Yeah, that um, review's still up. That's where I know some of the context. Yeah, your, she's a cool. Yeah, she's a cool lady. Read yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, and and she was one of these people who who was there at this sort of change, like you were talking about, Matt. Uh, who was who's seeing the publishing industry, and and it's, but there's also this rise of, of self-published authors, and it's like, well, why aren't these people getting published? And she's she was one of the people who were trying to trying to figure that out. And this is back in 2014, I guess. And yeah. so. Um, so I initially would, would try to chase down reviews. Um, and I would, I think I took out some ads maybe on Reddit and some other things. I did a, a good, a giveaway on Goodreads. Um, mm-hmm. I was just trying to think of anything I could, uh, to try to get it out. Um, and it, I would also approach, um, you know, uh, some, some 
some journal or some journal, you know, well, I'd approach journalists, but I would also, uh, some of these like news magazines that were, you know, they were starting, they were starting to transition to, to web-based formats. And I would, I would send in queries to them and some, I, I, I won't say who it was, but it was, it was one of these, you know, these web magazines are saying like they, well, we don't do book reviews, but thank you for thinking of us. And I was thinking like, you know, Huffington Post at the time or, or Buzzfeed or whatever was going on at the time, they, they do book reviews. And like huh. how that's a tremendous blind spot. And I think that was completely indicative of kind of the sort of, I guess, a conservative establishment at the time. Yeah. It was like, well, we don't want to engage in the culture. We don't want to engage in, we don't want to do movie reviews or book reviews outside of bitching about what leftists just did. Yeah. And they have no point. kind of positive vision or trying to find out, well, who's advancing the sort of stories we want told? Because people were already out there doing it in, in mainstream and publishing houses, but you, you won't hear about them. Um, I mean, I think yeah. of uh, one of my favorite, uh, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy fantasy and sci-fi and I, I should probably like, you know, give some like high tone sort of like books that I like, but I, I, I like that stuff. Yeah. And one of my favorites, uh, I, I remember coming across Larry Correa, who's like a self-proclaimed right-wing Mormon gun nut. Mm-hmm. He was like an accountant who was working in a gun store and he, he was really into B movies and he wrote this basically an urban fantasy where you have like these private military contractors who collect bounty for killing monsters. And one of them, the Monster Hunter International is headquartered out of Alabama. And this is like, and it's just, it's a fun story where uh, Jim Butcher, who uh, he, he's, I think he's pitched his book at Hollywood as like a dirty Harry Potter. And this guy, mm-hmm. it's like Spencer for hire as this private investigator who's a wizard in Chicago. And he like gets in adventures. And it's like, he's basically playing D&D with himself. But it's yeah. like, it's fun. And, 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 and the, you have characters who are doing, you know, you're, cool stuff and, and there's no you know nobody's you know breitbart's not doing a review over jim butcher's new book and when, when butcher's uh he's a like I, like an old-fashioned libertarian from missouri yeah. you know or, or larry correa they're, they're not promoting his book and um, and and the, this is you have people who will you know you know the leftists will quote harry potter chapter and verse mm-hmm. but you know they're, they're people who are already out there um but they don't want to talk about them and yeah. they've got to get over that yeah, I th- well, and thankfully, I think um, that change has happened a bit. Obviously, in this space, you know, this podcast, yeah. even like we're that's that's kind of part and parcel of this whole like dissident right frog Twitter, whatever you call it, like corner of the internet. But honestly, even uh, I don't know what, what Breitbart's doing, but like even I don't even like to phrase this person much, but but even like uh, the Daily Caller, which I, again I really hesitate to praise. I know we we're used to shitting on. Ben Shapiro, but he, you know, even he has kind of, I think, you know, he, he has a production company, which I mean, honestly, I, I'm not about to go out there and watch those movies necessarily. Cause I, you know, whatever, but like, I, I do think I only bring up this example because even, even the non-based corners of like conservatism, I think are starting to realize that fighting on the playing field, the battlefield of culture uh, is worthwhile. And I think that there's been some successes and will be more. Yeah, and and I, I I agree. I think they're they're you, it, everybody's kind of working it out right now, um, and, and I, I think I think it's an interesting time. Well, yeah, also that money is being left on the table. That yeah. uh, people, you know, people want to see conservative movies. People want to see uh, more traditional stories, and uh, you know, obviously Netflix isn't making them. Obviously, the mainstream publishing industry, where every uh, literary fiction novel is about like a Vietnamese immigrant, <laughs> they're they're not making it. So, like you know, whether it comes from us 
and we suddenly start making money. Well, uh, you know, that's great. I'd love that. Or whether it comes from, you know, some Hollywood exec waking up like, uh, not that Amanda Millius is an exec exactly. She started her own studio, but she's producing movies too. Ben Shapiro, say what you will about him. He is producing movies. I mean, someone's going to take home the prize. Hopefully many of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you wrote about, uh, and we, we did a podcast episode about, and, and, and you wrote about Top Gun Maverick uh, for I Am 1776. I don't, I think it could be overstated the extent to which that movie is conservative or right-wing or traditionalist. But uh, obviously it was by far the most, basically the most popular and, and best-selling movie in years. Maybe, maybe one of the most you know, best-selling movies of all time. Um, and I did enjoy, we did enjoy your, the piece you wrote for, for I am 1776 on that. I don't know if you heard our episode on Top Gun. No, no, yeah. no, you, oh, you did. Oh, you okay. did? You yeah. Listened. yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that was one of our favorites. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I was really struck while reading your article. Like, I, I feel like we, we independently kind of hit a lot of, a lot of the same points. I mean, and my, that's my general take on Top Gun. It's like, I don't want to overpraise it, but I, I do yeah. think there's some key stuff in there. That's really good. Yeah, it, it's. It, I I wasn't even really into the first Top Gun. Whenever I was a kid, I uh, I remember my dad would. My dad's really big about sneaking into movies. He uh, we would <laughs> we would almost dread going to the movies with him, because um, it's like like this is going to the movies with dad would be like an all day thing. Um, and <laughs> nobody's yeah. he's just you know blue collar dude who's like you're some eighteen year old person who's an usher or whatever. You ain't gonna call him out. <laughs> but I we went to he took me to see Transformers the movie. And, and I was blown away by that. Like my, my hero Optimus Prime had just died and I'm going to get snuck into Top Gun. Like I, like, yeah. like I'm, I'm not in the headspace for that. Um, but it was always in the background and there was you know, that, that feel back then where something like that could be made. And it was cool. Yeah. Sort of like, um, or uh, talking with Granza about uh, Point Break. Like I love Point Break. That, that's such a fun movie. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, and you know, it's about, and, and it's got that feel of what I assume, like, that you always see with with movies in LA around that time, um, and it was it's yeah. also uh, I think Die Hard has a bit of that, right? Oh, for sure. And yeah. so there's there was just it was just cool, and this was just normal stuff that was taken for granted, and you could go see it in a movie, and like that disappeared at some point, um, and so to see something like this again, and it's as you say, like it, it it's it's not really great, I, and I, at least I wouldn't consider it great. But it's good and it's yeah. it's fun and it's just like it's something that you know, used to be normal, and it's like seeing that after all these years, like whoa, like huh? I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know they still did that. Definitely, I think that, that was the the sentiment. That's one of the the word of mouth surrounding it and, and why it sold so well is because like it really delivered on that. Like it would have sold well regardless because it's Tom Cruise, but people realize that like this was a sort of a throwback in a, in a really positive way. And of course, there's you know there's there's enough solid lines within the first five minutes to warrant the whole thing with the whole, you know, your kind is going extinct yeah. momentum. But one thing I do want to specifically highlight, I think that I, I didn't remember that I'd done this until I was reading your Top Gun article, like th this week in prep for this episode. But uh, I actually do think I reference you on our Top Gun episode <laughs> uh, with regard. And, and I was really pleased to see that you'd made the same point about the John Hamm character in Top Gun Maverick. 
and how that kind of represented. I don't even think you necessarily say this per se in Dirt Colt, but you said it about Dirt Colt on, on BAP's podcast. I'm sure you've said it elsewhere that the the sort of upper, once you rise to a certain rank within the military, you seem to get some kind of globo homo lobotomy. Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah absolutely. That. Yeah. Um, in the context of Top Gun Maverick, obviously, he, it's more just that John Hamm's this guy with a stick up his ass. He's more by the book and, and, and Maverick's more instinctual. But like, I guess that isn't necessarily unrelated to some of the political global homo stuff either, is it? Yeah, but uh, there was a kind of touch. This reminds me of something we, we got into a little bit earlier about that. This is I suppose it's always been kind of a trope of military stuff going all the way back to you know, early back to the phalanx you know there's always this you know this need to try to break things down into systems and processes because this is discipline you know some mm-hmm. things work some things don't and you train accordingly but i think um the kind of that that john ham character and how like that that archetype really seems to come into play or i guess really kind of comes into its own in like post-world war ii mm-hmm. literature at least i i think of things like like from here to eternity or uh, i mentioned uh, once an eagle uh, Once an Eagle is a book by Anton Meyer. That's that's like it's all, it's one of these like Marine Corps Commandant reading list type books. I remember uh, our LT was reading it in Afghanistan. I wound up reading it while I'm you know writing a Dirt Cult because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm at this point uh, you know people always ask you know, how how you should write and one of my my favorite fantasy authors Robert Jordan who I've I've got problems with that with with what happened to his stuff but that's neither here nor there but one of the things he would tell people is you need to read. And I, I think so. I was just obsessed reading as much stuff as I could, and and I I tried to get into that that genre of post war novels. And and there's well, I guess Catch Twenty Two is, is probably probably the best example of that. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah like with um with Once an Eagle, uh, the protagonist he's he's a young man in World War One, out of Nebraska, and he enlists and he he rises through the ranks and by the end of it is an officer and then he serves in World War Two and it follows all the way up to the beginnings of the Vietnam War. And he's front and center for this kind of change that happened as the yeah. old army style, you know, the sort of Teddy Roosevelt types of stuff, uh, how that yeah. changed into this sort of managerial global homo thing where they're there at one point, I think out West, it might've been California. And they're talking about how there's basically going to be a second world war. And they kind of take it for granted that this is going to happen. Like there's just this sense that, and, and one of the, the foils in the character, I think his name's Courtney Massengale, which is a really unfortunate name for a man. <laughs> but he's he's the managerial guy he's he's the guy who rises through the ranks because he's good at you know kissing ass or policy procedure and all that sort of stuff that really flourishes uh, in, in in like you know the sort of industrial or you know high-tech bureaucracy that that's the military and so uh kind of bring that back uh I, or one more example, I guess, is uh, you know, from here to eternity. You know, everybody re- thinks about that scene where Burt Lancaster is making out with that chick in the beach. But <laughs> you read the book; it's you know, here's this NCO, and he's a hard ass. And he's a tough guy, but he also knows how to work the machine. And it's it's and this is like World War. This is right at the beginning of World War II, and so it's it's apparent there's this bureaucratization that's already happened, and it's about you know, paperwork and this and that, and um, and and it's. You, you, it's just the sense that you're on this runaway machine, and and I think you know, the the John Hamm character, like he's he, he's a perfect archetype of that of that mindset that that is in the military. 
no, sorry no, about that. I, no, no, absolutely. I appreciate all the references. I mean, one of the more generic questions we had on our list was like, what are some of your literary influences? So I'm glad to to kind of hear about, about some of those. Uh, but no, no, definitely. It is kind of an archetype, but mine, you know, based on your novel and other things I've heard, it's, it's an archetype that it, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a worthwhile archetype of, you know, the, the military bureaucrat with the stick up, up his ass because it's true. And it really does chart a, uh, you know, a change that has occurred in the military um, and that continues, you know, to, to toward this managerialism. Um, another, you know, somewhat related to that, uh, perhaps change w within military and American life that Dan and I were talking about in prep for this episode was, uh, and I think it's something that your novel speaks to a bit and, and your other work as well, is the kind of changing perception and role of the veteran in, in American culture and society. Uh, Benjamin Braddock, in his review of Dirk Holt, made a, a really interesting point about how, you know, kind of back in the day, uh, and obviously one reason for this was that, you know, the, uh, the military is now a little more volunteer-based than it was during, you know, World War II and Vietnam era, uh, Vietnam War era with the draft. But but that, you know, it was, it was a much more normalized thing. Like Clint Eastwood, was in the military and then had an entertainment career. Um, I'm trying to think it was Clark Gable. Maybe it was one uh, Elvis, obviously, you know, there's all these examples. Like it was a much more sort of normal, normalized thing where, you know, you know, a lot of American men, you know, were in the service. Like that was just this normal thing. And, Jimmy and Stewart, famously. Jimmy Stewart, you know, so many actors, so many musicians. Uh, and they were integrated into American life in a way, in a very depressing way that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Now there's this, it, 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 our society is weird in how we treat veterans to say, say the least. There's this sense that like, it, there's almost a poverty to, to that role. Like there's this understanding that, oh, he probably joined in either A, because he he needed the money or, or did, he was just weird and he wanted to go overseas. Um, uh, it just, I mean, have you kind of, does that resonate like that, that, that the changing perception? You know, obviously there's always going to be some, sort of more, you know, Republican types who, who, who will praise veterans, but it's just this sad thing that's part and parcel of a more general, auto, you know, um, atomization where, you know, it's, there's not really a role for veterans within culture and society, which is a really shameful thing. I, I, th I think, uh, I think that's absolutely the case. And I, I don't know how much of that's Vietnam and how much isn't, but I think it plays a role. Um, and there's a, or how much of that's even uh, at the risk of sounding like a Marxist. I think there's an issue of class to this. Oh, which, uh, of course there is. No, I agree. It's not which a Marxist thing. Yeah. Which I, I'm going to get on that in a second. But um, yeah. I, just to kind of tell a, a story, um, when I enlisted, again, it was this was 2000. 9 11 hadn't happened to kind of give us this you know, boost of patriotism again and everything. There was the last big one we'd seen was you know, maybe Vietnam. You know, there'd been Somalia and some other things like that. And it was just really kind of nebulous and, and you couldn't, you didn't really know what these things are over. Um, and I remember uh, I was going to tell my mom that I, I was going to get enlist and she winds up hitting me with a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, you know, she's laid up cause she just had a car accident. And so I go back into the room, my mom and dad's room and I'm like, mom, I need to talk to you. And she's like, you know, she's, you know, she's a mom and she just got confronted with, you know, her son about to t drop something on her. And she's like, what the hell is this? Um, and, and, and that's why I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enlist. And then she hits me. And, and, like, she's like, reach, grabs a pillow and she hits me with it. And like, I, she's, 
I don't think that woman has, has hit me since like maybe spanking me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. She, she gets mad. She's like, I would have rather you have got some girl pregnant. <laughs> she, was, she was thinking I was going to tell her like I got some girl pregnant. And so she, she, was, she's, she finds out yeah, I'm going to go enlist. And, and another guy I find I, I, talking with that at, a, at a, a friend's wedding. It said like, why are you doing that? Like, and, 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 uh, one of my army buddies who's from New York, uh, he was, he's, he's very much a man of the left and, and we, we didn't really get along on terms of politics, but he was a good friend and he was a comedian. And so he's coming out of like New York comedian kind of background. And he was, he was saying one time that, uh, you know, whenever he enlisted, uh, he, he went in thinking like, you know, like a lot of people around him thought that, that you know, the military, you know, it's this thing that we need, but it's filled with a lot of people that you really don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whenever he enlisted though, he realized it's filled with all these really cool people or, you know, good dudes, uh, you know, who are very, very much worth knowing. Um, yeah. And he wouldn't have known that he wouldn't have seen that otherwise. Um, and just, I, I think for the sort of the, the taste makers of, of this sort of this thing that we live in now, I think they kind of have that attitude, you know, the, you know, we'll, we'll need these guys to go like fight and kill and die because of, you know, the stuff we want to do, but we really don't want to know them. Um, yeah. No, and, it's, it's incredibly sad and shameful really. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no. And it kind of, uh, I think one of the central hypocrisies or just frankly, as I said, you know, disgusting things that you sort of call out, in dirt cold, but then maybe even more so in some of your more recent, you know, writing for IM seventeen seventy six and such, like your your Ukraine article, uh, is this you know the 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 total the the way that and it's basically red state flyover country men less credentialed especially are are treated as totally disposable, which is bad in its own right, um, but then you in the same breath that they're treated as disposable you know they're also scapegoated for all of society's ills and i don't think we're overstating this at all i mean i think that is the dynamic in the way that a certain elite talks about you know about about veterans about men from certain areas of the country and it's 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 remarkable uh that it you know how unaware a lot of these people are that is what they're doing yeah, it's you know I guess it's it's the sort of myopia of, of these people who you if, if if you're if you're if you're if you're intelligent you know they they tell you you need to go off to school and you need to go get these degrees and then you go work in you know in an office or whatever and, and a lot of these people are really insulated um and because that's all they've known I mean I've I've worked with a at one point while I was working um for the I, I worked with the VA and and you would you'd work with some of these people who all they've done is you know, be a doctor or whatever. Um, and, and, or you deal these people who just understand administration and, and they, they've, they've not really done these sort of, they, they've not served in a line unit for a couple yeah. of years. Um, and, and they just sort of you know, like with it, with the academics and stuff, they, they just sort of take it for granted that their, their class is right. The people like them are right and, and should have more say. And that's always going to be the answer to these problems. Um, you know, like, like the good old boys touch on, you know, politics is patronage. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this, yeah. you know, this managerial class, they just sort of assume they're good. But the trouble is they don't ever really get their ass on the grass. Um, yeah. Or, or even want to accept that, that maybe we have things worth saying um, or, or that our, we have opinions that, that might be a lot more val- valid than they want to give credit because that means that's an indictment on their worldview it means their worldview is wrong yeah 
And and I don't think they can accept that yet, but they're, they're going to have to. I think so too. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm not always completely optimistic about the future of, of politics and American politics, but I do think, you know, people who are simply wrong and out of touch with reality, eventually they're going to bonk their head on it. I mean, I think it's already happened to an extent and I think it will happen, uh, happen more so. Well, it's, it's encouraging and as bad as this Ukraine business is. Um, and I, uh, again, this is, I, 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 I would I would like to see them do more to try to de-escalate. Although I know it's kind of they they're they're not there yet. They're they're not yeah. ready to learn the lesson. Um, but in the meantime, everything just seems like it's holding its breath. Um, but yeah. they they can't do like they used to. Um, you know, like like with nine eleven, there was still that that sort of you know this is our country and and we need to defend it. That horse is out of the barn. Absolutely. Um, there, there's 20 years of, of, of guys like me or, or, or of, of guys like you who, who saw this stuff. Uh, and, and, it, and we all know we're being betrayed and we're being lied to by this machine. And it, like the people on the other side of our oaths don't believe in countries. Yeah. That's yeah. There's a oh, that's... real disjunction, I yeah. think, uh, in this age due to ideology, due to many things, but I think you see a real disjunction due to the fact that we are now a, and have been for decades, a volunteer army. Whereas in the past, even in Vietnam, we were a draft army. And so you had men from all different walks of life participating in the fighting. And uh, that I think led to, uh, you know, also was a time in our country where, you know, though changes were happening, they were not happening at the pace and with the uh, level of detrimental effect that they're currently happening. And so you had, uh, you know, a a more cohesive uh, group of men, a more cohesive fighting force. But today you have with, you know, an all volunteer army, which, you know, many are led to volunteer because of economic reasons. And you have a class of uh, bureaucrats on top of them, just a, a clear um, cultural divide between the, the men and the administrators, the men and the brass, and also a, um, you know, a misalignment of, um, you know, interests, yeah. <laughs> of fundamental interests. Their, their interests are for you to, you know, uh, you know maybe uh, not uh, turn out very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's this is, you know this issue of the recruiting crisis that's been going around, and like this is this this makes it to where they they can't promote global homo like they would like to, which is great. <laughs> it's an impediment. Uh, you know they they would like to roll over Ukraine. They would like to do all this other stuff, but they're they know they they can't get the draw that they used to, and that's Absolutely. to say nothing of the fact that like. Good Lord, how, how big is the debt at this point? Like, does anybody even really care? Like, like we're not paying that off. That's their problem. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it's just like this, 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 this zombie thing that's on autopilot. Um, and, and why, why would you like, if you're, again, if you're serving it and I, I've got dudes, I know dudes who are in and, and I, you know, I, I, they're, you know, they're in for their reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But they also understand that, that, you know, this thing, it doesn't love you. And as one dude I heard said, you know, loving a country that hates you isn't patriotism, it's servitude. Mm, and and yeah. I think that's true. Um, and I think there's, there, there, there's a lot of people who, who, and I think this is a thing that conservatives or whatever that means anymore, um, are, 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 are having to come to grips with is that they, 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 they want to love a country and they, they want to like belong and, and they don't want trouble. They just want to grill, man. Um, but they can't because nobody's going to leave you alone. And the yeah. stuff they they do want to do, it, it's it's having you serve things that are completely opposed to your interests, um, and it's like 
they're going to have to deal with that. And, and, and it's going to mean that they're, the world's not going to play go according to how they plan it. And as they learn that lesson, I think things are going to get real squirrely as we're seeing. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's going to happen. Like, <laughs> like it's not like the, that, that utopia ain't going to happen. So you're going to have to like make do with us, whether you like it or not. Because and hopefully it's fan. peace. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I was going to say, say hopefully it's peaceful. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say there's this fantasy that we could go back to an earlier era, an earlier time where uh, the kind of vision of the, the you know, regime or whatever was not as misaligned with the visions of like, you know, the, the morals and the values of the, you know, people right. like us. Yeah, but so. you, you can't really rewind that. No, it, it's like so. it's out there. And like, even if like you, you win the next election, even if there's Trump in 2024, it's not going to change the universities. It's not going to change the New York Times. It's not going to change the major corporations. In fact, they'll and go that even is crazier. All, yeah. yeah, they'll go even crazier. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, there's no rewind button here. There's no recapture strategy, really. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what we're trying to come to terms with, I think. Well, and it's, again, kind of going back to our earlier point of, of these circles. This is men, men yeah. who are having to like, you know, we, we're sort of the ones who get it first that like this order ain't your buddy. And so yeah. and, and, and we ain't going back to the way things work. So we're going to have to try to figure out a way to make do. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and that's. I know again it's it's scary too because it's this is this is some pretty dystopian stuff that that i that, that that's happened i mean good lord somebody had posted on car culture and how the cash for clunkers you know completely eviscerated it and now we've got the uh was what's his name jack off plane i want to make sure i give credit oh JJ, JJ, the yeah jj the jack off plane, plane. <laughs> but he he talked about how you know the, you have the clash for you know swig a beer for for jj the jack off plane <laughs> he's a good dude um yeah. but the you you now have these vehicles like the tire that damn tire pressure monitoring system or, or my my truck my that i have now the the dashboard whatever went up where i just wanted to play my music i want to be able to plug in my auxiliary cable and have it play my music and won't even do that right it's like yeah almost $2,000 and I, I'm going to like a six month waiting list for the thing. And it's like all this shit on my truck. I did not want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's just the vehicle. And it's like, what are you going to do if you're 16 years old in high school? Like, how are you supposed to like get the bread together for a vehicle? And, oh, and it's, gee. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's just one thing. And, and we've got all like all this stuff and you're like, God, how in the world are you supposed to make it tomorrow out of this? Cause uh, there was a, again, sort of cribbing from people on on twitter it was a, a lincola something or other it had said like oh a penty lincola yeah it, penty I, they, I was like it were like quoting the meme people and again like <laughs> this is the importance of art like memes yeah. are art like like this is your these are ideas that they're given breath in in images or words or whatever like this is magic absolutely this is alchemy um and and anyways um i'm a, I'm a I'm gonna get lost in my own anecdote. No, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's me magic, as they yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. He said uh, one of the things that that made America great was there was always a frontier that you could go off into to escape America, and, and I think there's that was part of what made it cool was that you could go off into a frontier. You know, if you you go, you, you maybe you could you know have a nice life in the city or whatever, but if you got a gut full of that, you could go out west, and yeah. or you know, like my people come out of the Civil War. Um, and a lot of that, that's what they did. 
they like, you know what? <laughs> We've lost everything. So, you know, like, mama, I'm going to, I'll send for you when I get the cabin built. And they go off and, you know, go West. Um, yeah. The trouble is, is, you know, was it the, the 18, whatever, 1880 something census? Like the frontier is closed now. Of the so, American frontier. Yeah. yeah. We you got, you know, we we're, was it to, you know, quote Jack Donovan, no homo, but, uh, <laughs> which again, uh, he's another one of these guys who, who helped, you know, yeah. you know, homo stuff, yeah, notwithstanding, like he, yeah. he, yeah. he blazed going. the trail. Um, yeah. uh, he's one of these authors, but, um, the, you're kind of having to become the barbarians. Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely so, and uh owning space yeah, yeah. no that's that's what it a all swig of beer for to. bat <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely absolutely well i feel like we're we're getting close to winding down here but before we do so um wanted to ask if you have and you know dirt cult is a very singular and very personal work so i mean i don't know answer this however you will but do you do you see yourself writing more books in the future are you working on anything now I, i'm actually working on a screenplay adaptation of it. oh my god awesome oh, great there's, yeah there's some i which has been kind of an interesting experience there's a, a dude actually who I, I did sort of the similar thing i did with the book and i would send it out to people i i you know this in the slush pile or whatever you know the, for producers or directors or you know actors or whatever and sometimes people would respond one dude i re, I, I may tell y'all off off you know, off of, yeah, no, uh, no, off of the show, but um, there was a dude who actually wrote me back, and I like, like I, I, I quoted this guy's <laughs> movie, like we we quoted this dude's movie, and he's writing me back, and I was like, like I really liked your book, and I'm like, well, could you give me some advice on writing a screenplay, and and he gave me some really good advice, I thought, which was which was which was interesting, but uh, but he was saying that he's over the hill and blacklisted, <laughs> so uh. like, like, huh, like, would you like to tell me more about that, please, um. Uh. But so uh, I, I since I've I've got a screenplay and I I've been yeah I'm I'm working on you know revising it and there's uh, some you know, some people have expressed an interest uh, no no checks have been cut no we don't have paperwork but right now we're just we're playing around with the screenplay seeing what we great can do. well I hope yeah maybe, maybe a, ask a, a certain daughter of a, a big <laughs> no 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 I no <laughs> no but, no, uh, no. Maybe Princess try- Milius is, is <laughs> like yeah it's. Yeah, she's she's got her own things going i i've not i've not ever spoken with her but but uh which i, I hope good things from her and yeah. she's she's hysterical she cracks me up yeah she's oh, great yeah. we hope to have but, her on this pod at some point but no um yeah. interesting to hear on the screenplay well, we should talk more about it maybe offline uh if there's names involved i, I do hope you know i think there's there i do think there's some people like who could potentially make it or, or like at least help get the screenplay in like tip-top shape and like i think there there is you know, I've actually talked to people, uh, you know, I'm not that well connected, but like when, whenever people have asked me like what, what, what like frog food or stuff do you think would make good movie content? I, I have cited your book. Uh, oh, I, I, you. I really th- like, I think it would lend itself so, so, um, so well and so clearly. And I think it also, and this also stands for the book in book form. I think it has more crossover appeal. I mean, it's not bronze age mindset where it's like, you know, very online. Well, I wouldn't, I don't know if I, would say that bronze age mindset's very online i don't mean that in a bad way it's just it's it's very much for a specific audience whereas your book i mean i think even like normies uh c- could sort of read it and uh and really get what you're saying without having to have any you know particular political proclivity so i think absolutely it's good 
good material for you know tv film well, probably film but uh and that, i'm really glad to hear you know that, that you are working on that I, I wrote a screenplay of my novel too i think it's a it's an interesting step to take and it's an interesting writing exercise you know you kind of um you know you have to kind of boil down to the most essential elements but i think it can be really fun as well so uh you know best of luck with that i will i will probably ask you about it offline curious oh well, good luck yeah. with yours too i yeah is it is this your first screenplay uh no or have um, you worked with I, those before yeah i I've, I've written screenplays before i've never gotten anything made though so <laughs> you know still it's, it's yeah. as you say it's an interesting it's an interesting medium uh, one of the things that the guy who i i spoke with had said you know it's you you're ultimately telling a story in pictures and he yeah, said yeah. if you have to use words and so in in writing it in in trying to write it that way um i i, I thought it'd be I, I i imagine if and again this is a huge if because you know i i don't know if it'll ever get made but um i i think it'd be a fun kind of period piece for a lot of zoomers and stuff coming up because i think there's yeah, enough oh, that they, could, they yeah. could see familiar but it's you know no you know at that bar nobody's really looking at their phone you yeah, know, yeah definitely. like or we're using pay phones or whatever and they mean like like this dude's using a phone book you know lol a hundred percent. And but and another thing I would say is that um, in my, you know, it's not not full, you know my somewhat limited knowledge of this. Like you mentioned in 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 the I think the Sturzinger piece and your your kind of process of trying to get Dirt Cult published, there was this notion like, oh, the publishing industry doesn't want more war memoirs. I think that's the opposite in when it comes to like independent film. Um, there's this understanding that like there's a whole swath of Americans who will watch anything that looks like a war movie. Yeah. So I think that could actually help That's... that project out. Yeah, um, it, yeah. It's a tough needle to thread, especially nowadays. You know, like I I mentioned with the the Top Gun thing, um, that's it's it's almost like from an alternate universe where yeah. where all this other stuff hadn't happened. Um, whereas in reality, that stuff did happen. Um, how do you do a war movie when the the machine that, or how do you how do you do a war movie when patriotism itself is it's kind of yeah it's a gamble not worth taking almost right. um, or well at least of course it, yeah I mean your your war movie would be a quite subversive one but nevertheless that's yeah. what would probably be what people would think it would be when they're clicking on like a streaming website or whatever the case might be yeah. but it, you know they can deliver the message all the more powerfully. Yeah, I mean, having a and I would I would stand on having the scene of just the, the imagining the military to say, you know, fuck your orders like I, that's going to yeah. go over like a like a fart in church. But um, <laughs> but I, I would like to see that I like, you know, the, the this sort of subversiveness doesn't which I, I'm not a transgressive guy by my nature. And right. I don't like subversiveness because like, like in a different world, like a, a guy like me would just be like grilling with, you know, a wife and like a half dozen kids somewhere mm -hmm. and like. You know what? Since I didn't prove the lover, I shall prove the villain. You know, and, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And so, like, you know what? I'm not going to this stooging for something that is completely against me. I that's the wrong answer, yeah. and, and I I don't want to take it, um, and I don't want to hurt anybody either. And I think there's a lot of people who feel like that, um, and so I I would I would think there's a place for that, or at least it's something. It's a conversation worth having to borrow their I think language. So too. Definitely, yeah. I think coming right on the heels of Top Gun. Like that was proof in the pudding that there is a huge appetite for this. And, um, you know, furthermore, the success of, uh, of Dirt Cult, like that gives you a track record 
where, okay, I think the mainstream publishing industry is like exceedingly woke to the point where like there's a clear divide between what we're doing and what they're doing. But I think you do have some kind of more outsider independent filmmakers there. So like we mentioned uh, Milius, but there's others too. There's Craig uh, Zoller. Yeah, Craig Zoller. (laughs) There's, um, yeah, you know, who knows, maybe... uh, Alex Lee Moyer wants to make a war movie. <laughs> Maybe. I, well, it's oh, just that there's a there's a vibe shift. Yeah, yeah as right. y'all as yeah. y'all as y'all have talked about. And and this this is conflict. And and that, that expresses itself in in war. And and you know what what does that even look like nowadays? Like what does that even mean? Um and that's that's real dicey stuff. Um but I think that's also there's also potential for magic in that. Um mm-hmm. In, in, in using these stories to try to like plot out kind of where we're at and where we want to go. Sam, I think if you want to sell this screenplay and get it produced, your next podcast hop is Red Scare. Oh, yeah. That'd be an interesting get, one. Get on yeah. there with the girls and uh, your troubles will be over. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Or we'll they may just be beginning. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Well, Thank you. I, I think that's about a wrap. Unless you have anything else um, you want to add or plug uh, or Dan, if you have any other questions. Uh, no, I think we're, we covered a lot of great material here. So I'm yeah, good I know. to go. This is a good but, one. Well, I, I, again, I really appreciate y'all taking the time um, and I appreciate y'all's work. Um, as we Thanks. were talking well, before, you. yeah. before y'all started recording um, this, this stuff matters. I mean, not necessarily my book, but like, you know, that, 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 that books matter and, and stories mm-hmm. matter and images matter, like, like the culture and the arts, like this is, this is, this is this, this womb of what tomorrow's, if where tomorrow's going to come from. Um, and, and this, it'll happen here first. Um, and, Thank you. and I think, uh, the, the, the fact that y'all are exploring that, I, I think I think that's important and I think it matters. And so I, I appreciate y'all's work and I look forward to seeing, you know, what, what y'all do with this thing um, and, and and what sort of stuff, you know, y'all uncover to share with us. Really I, mean, I, I thank you for taking the time yeah. to yeah. invite me to come sit in with y'all. Absolutely. No, I mean, you, again, uh, we've praised you a lot in this episode. We'll do it one more time. I mean, <laughs> we talk about like some of the, you know, the 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 telltale the, uh, the you know the most important like red pill novels and, and your your book is definitely up there you know mixing you know war memoir with uh you know just a story of day-to-day life and just that gonzo almost perspective uh, of where we are um i mean it's par excellence the kind of novel that we we look to cover here so thank you for coming on well, thank you for blessed. coming on sam we well, really thank you all appreciate thank it you. i'm gonna stop